This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to DM to GM. I am your GM, Sean. And I'm your DM, Russ. And we are here to help you get through getting started, getting playing. And so we have asked people three questions, which we are addressing in the show. What game genre would you like to run? What system are you familiar with? Or what system do you want to use? And then what's stopping you? And here today, Russ is going to take us through a new question that we've received. So this question comes from Kit. And to sum this up as nicely as Sean did, Kit is looking to wing it. Yeah, Kit. And Kit and it rhyme. So that makes it a great question. So first, what game genre did Kit want to run? Fantasy or mythology? So that could be taken a couple different ways. Love it. One of which is your traditional D&D Pathfinder, you know, elves and dwarves and... Lord of the Rings kind of... That style or mythology, which my brain directly goes to like more Greek pantheon type stuff. Yeah, but it could also be modern mythology. But I think, yeah, more. I I assume the question is leading more towards fantasy. But yeah, Yeah. I I could see sort of that Greek kind of or Roman that, that gets dark quick. It does. It does. So, I mean, either way, those ones, I think, are part of so many games because they're easy to draw inspiration from because there are so many instances of them in just general popular media um, with Lord Mm -hmm. of the Rings, different books and movies and all that sort of stuff. Um, Robert Asprin. I've always wanted wanted to run a game with. Did you ever read Robert Asprin, the myth series? No, I don't read, Sean. Oh, man. I'm going to send you that book. It Robert, is amazing. It Robert is so, Asprin. They're funny. It's all funny. It's like your sense of humor. But anyway, so yeah. Right. Cool. So I've derailed you. Go on to questions. No, that's fine. So yeah, not easy, but generally easier to find inspiration for them. Pick one that you really like and kind of start building from there. Um, number two, um, which system do you want to use or which system are you comfortable with? Now, Kit says, uh, I think we're doing D&D, but we'll be making up our own rules because we're not sure how it works. Amen. Whew. So many times do you start a game in a game that you don't know what's <laughs> happening and you're kind of trying to read faster than everybody at the table just to make sure that you can keep up. Whew. Wow. There's one show I listened to where this really cool dragon came on and killed a character that shouldn't have died. No, character should have died. It's all good. Don't worry about it. No take backsies. Get the <laughs> out of here. Pardon my language. I don't know if this is an explicit podcast yet. Yeah. 
I I think there's so much fear around getting rules right. I, I it's and I get it, right? Because the books are big, they're thick, and and they're in version five with a letter after it, right? Like it's like this is how it must be played. And dear lord, if you go on Reddit, you'll see all these people being attacked because they are doing a rule wrong, quote unquote. So I get the fear. There's a lot of room at a table for a rules person. And if you have one at your table and they want to, and it's not you, and they want to be that person who in the middle of a game will figure out the rule while you're making a ruling, great. But the more important thing in that, I think, in running a game is keeping that momentum going. And if you don't know what the exact rule is, make it up. The rule of fun. That's right. The rule of fun. If they want to do a backflip off of the top of a building and land perfectly like a cat, you know that they have ability scores. Yeah. Have them roll a 20-sided die. If it looks high, say, yeah. You did it. Woo. And then after the game's done, you can go read the rule, like find the exact rule. Yeah, exactly. If it's so far off that you're like, wow, this is going to break the game if we let them do this too many times, then you can come back to the table next time and be like, look, guys, I made a big mistake. Uh, we made that rule too lax. It should have been this. And then you can kind of amend that or retcon that going forward. The other thing you do is you have a GM screen or a DM screen, one of those fold out screens. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I've made my own because I like, you know, I found some screens in a bin somewhere that are from some game I'd never heard of. And I just like printed out things on the internet and put them in there. But once you have a screen, like it's there for a reason. So your notes about the world don't get seen. I don't know about you, Russ. Now, there's a lot of people talking about different takes on this, but it's also there to allow you to just roll a die and make a call. Even if you have no idea the die you're rolling. Right. Um, uh, we, we might get into an argument here, Sean. But um, Yes, let's do it. Yeah. No, from that aspect, I come at it from two different ways. I, have, I come at it from a, a DM running a game for a group of friends around a table. And then I come at it from a DM running a podcast trying to tell a story. So when, I'm, when I've got the podcast hat on, I may fudge some rolls to make a better story. If I'm running it at the table, I roll in front of everybody. Well, it's funny because in, in the games I play where I don't play D&D anymore, like based on the apocalypse or whatever, I don't get to roll, which is really interesting, um, which is probably good for me. You don't get to roll? My style. No, I don't roll. As a, in Dungeon World, I'm, oh, I don't Dungeon even have to World, have yeah. dice. Right in Dungeon World. Yeah. So, yeah, but like I think it depends on the table. Yeah. So if you have a table that's coming together to just have an amazing time telling a story, then you can play it the way Russ, podcaster, GM plays it. Yep. Right. Like it's the table's choice. It's the table that wants to have fun. So I let's see if you agree with this. In the event where you're not sure what to do and everyone's looking at you, you have a couple choices. You can pause the game and look it up and have other people help you. Or if you're in a key moment, you can just make a call on what you think might be a reasonable rule to cover this situation. And then deal with it, get the outcome. And if you want to go back and look at it later afterwards, you can always do that and be like, oh, there is a way to do this in the rules. And then if you're me, I just roll a die random and fake it. Yeah, you don't even look at the die, so I don't know. It's like you close your eyes. You're like, yep, it succeeded. Yep, it failed. It's usually to fail, though. It's like, oh, sorry, Russ, you didn't do it. Both ways are valid. Um, It's about understanding the base mechanics of it. 
So look at the first, if you're, if you want to run D&D, look at the first, like how to run this game, or even on Wizards of the Coast website, they have a base rules, which is a very pared down player's handbook, which basically just gives you ability scores, checks, saving throws, attack, and that's about it. Like that's all you need. And then how to build a character, obviously, but that's really all you need. And then you just, any decision that's made is based on your D20 roll plus and a closely approximated or applicable ability. Yeah, and what I love about what you're saying with the one page is it just says, hey, just learn the basics, the simple rules, and you can start playing. Yeah, like that's what they want. They want you to they want you to get in there and they want you to play. That's why they give them for free on their website. Obviously, if you want the full set, you got to go you got to go pay for it either online or in store. But um, just to sit around a table. Just print off six copies for whoever you have at the at the table that day and and just go for it. And so I, I don't know where you sit on this, but one of the things I found, so I think what Kid is asking is, hey, we're not sure exactly how to play it. Right? Yeah. So so in which case we're saying, just get some basic rules and just have fun. Do the yep. best you can. Kid is also suggesting, hey, should we make up our own rules? And while that's possible, it is one of the things I found challenging in D&D. Uh, I find it's a bit harder to make up rules or classes or moves. Um, I find it takes a bit more of an understanding of the system and how things are weighted, um, unlike other systems where you're sort of encouraged to create rules or moves. Yeah, there are different games like Powered by the Apocalypse or even Fake Core, which are a little more... They're they're plus minus, right? Like there yeah. there's varying degrees of success and failure. Where D and D, while there is varying degrees of success and failure, the more you play it, there's still you still need that base mechanic and understanding of if I roll, you know, if I have a difficulty class to beat of ten, if I get within approximation of that, I mean, it's technically a fail if you roll a nine. So you, you just have to yeah. understand. The game you choose, you have to understand the very basic of it, which is usually covered within like the first two to three chapters of any book. But like if I were to create a new kind of gun weapon, I would probably go and look for someone that has done that, right? I'd look for the mechanic someone else has done versus trying to create it myself in D&D. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, It's just a little bit harder to create your own things in D&D. Definitely. Because if you make that too overpowered or too underpowered... If it's too underpowered, the player who has it isn't going to have any fun with it. If it's too overpowered, everybody else around them is no longer going to have any fun. So, Yeah, or if it's too complex of a mechanism, it can get frustrating and difficult. Or then how does it deal with different situations that are going to come up? Yeah. For a lot of those things, they have um, like a very quick table of contents that you can say, like, if you want guns in a D&D game, you just look up alien technology and you can go find like explosives and blast radius and all that sort of stuff. So it's picking and choosing what you need as you need it. And then only learning the basics just to sit down at the table. Well, the good news is if you want to play a fantasy world, the D&D system is built for that. It's pretty straightforward. We've all come across it in different podcasts. So it's it's somewhat i think it's pretty accessible for a fantasy world it's pretty easy at going and i guess we'll put a link to the to that one pager or whatever it is yeah i'll put that there so that you can go get the base rules and then i'm pretty sure there are some pre-gen characters that if you don't because creating a character for new players can sometimes take three hours too well in this case if you're 
go to question three, Ross. Kit has already, their whole table has made their characters. I think I think they are on the verge of playing. Kit, I want you to do this. You're ready. You've got a you've got a table. You've got people with characters. All right. So let's go to question three then. And question three, as we asked it, was what hurdles are stopping you from running the game? And Kit says, uh, we have a really small party like y'all do, so we're worried about making it work and involving all of our characters. We've all made one. Bonus. Way to go. Also, how much should you plan out, leave blank? If you're doing an open world scenario, what all do you plan for? Okay, there's a lot of questions here. Maybe let's start from the top. And uh, and then what do you do when your party catches you off guard and you have something not prepared? So... First off, you've got characters made. That's sometimes the hardest thing to get people to sit down and do because it's the least fun. 100%. So you've done it. You're past that hurdle. Way to go. Uh, How much do you plan for and how much do you leave blank? I leave a lot blank. Me too. Look at that. We have that in common. That said, when I was a new dungeon master, I did not leave a lot blank. Me neither. I had many pages upon pages upon pages of notes... Um, that I really wanted to get to and show them how I built out this world. Show them how, 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 yeah, how smart, not, sorry, but, uh, what's the word? Like, how creative. Yeah. Like how creative we are, how, it's like, look at this. Wait till you see this. Look what I did for you. I built this world. You don't need to do that. No. Find your base concept. So if you want fantasy, We'll just pick Lord of the Rings for just ease sake. You've got hobbits, you've got elves, you've got dwarves, you've got the world built. Now just find that one hook that gets them. Yeah. I mean, you can you can do it a couple different ways as to how you sit down with the players. You can have them all separate and come together. Or you can just sit down and say, just for the sake of playing a game, say you're all part of a, an Assassin's League or you're all part of a Thieves Guild or you're all just a group of roaming adventurers who've had tons of stories. And you know what? Get them to tell you a story each of what they've done. Love it. That brings them together as a team, as a group, and sets up some of that history. And then you can say, oh, the t- the village over there, there's rumors of it being raided by goblins. Maybe it is goblins, maybe it's something different. They'll figure that out as they go. So put a lot back on them. Let's take that. Let's take village. Right? Let's take, there's a village over there. So one of the things that I think can be the, I 100% agree. One of the things I can think can be the hardest it's getting the party started. Yeah. Now, it's one of the things I now enjoy a lot when I'm running a new game. But I know that in, when I was starting out, it could take a lot of time to get, like, because I don't know about you, but I always had somebody playing a thief that was wanting to steal from everyone. Now, I don't know. It was always hard to get the party to congeal. And I think I would often do the thing when I was first getting going of you meet in a bar and then <laughs> trying to get them out of the bar is hard and blah, blah, blah. So, Something that's a great trick that I've learned from improv is actually with a new table, a bunch of people do exactly what Rush just said. Have them all tell you a story of how they are in this, you know, uh, Adventurer's Guild or Assassin's Guild. And then start them in media res. Literally start them in the center of the village. It is on fire. The, The mission has gone horribly wrong. Set it up and then watch what they do as a band to to stick together and survive. Yeah. Absolutely. Put your trial by fire. There's goblins throwing Molotov cocktails at them from high up in the windows. What do you do? Roll for initiative. Like Exactly. Yeah. And they're in. Boom. You've got their stories. They know who each other is. 
And then they get to just start playing. And then, yeah, it seals in that friendship right away um, where, yeah, like you mentioned, if they meet in a tavern, the age old, oh, yeah. it's a rainy day and you meet in a tavern. <laughs> like Sean said, it's a hard one to sometimes get away from or find momentum from there. Whereas if you just yes. start running, it's hard to hard to slow yeah. them down after that. Have them running in a series of caverns and they're lost. A mission's gone, you know, they're in the middle of a mission and somebody spotted them. Um, there's a lot of ways you can take any idea, just put the pressure on them. That's what I think is key, right? There needs to be some kind of external force that pulls them together immediately, like danger. There's some kind of danger. Definitely. So let's say that we're going to do the first one. It's a village. There are, uh, would you say goblins or? Sure. Hop- what'd you say? I said goblins, yeah. Goblins. So there are goblins throwing Molotov cocktails. So goblins you know, not that difficult of a creature to to deal with. Uh, but if there are a lot of them and they're on top of buildings and they're throwing Molotov cocktails, this is getting to be quite a difficult situation for our party. So what would you have planned for this first scenario, Russ? If that was you, that's where you're going to start them. You've spent, let's say, 40 minutes getting set up and everyone telling their story. Now you're getting going. You've got an, you know, an hour, hour and a half of gameplay you want to set up for. What would what What would you plan for that scenario? Uh, what I would plan for that scenario is I would have your monster stat block for goblins. How many goblins yep. you want there? Yep. Um, it might be six. It might be 300. Obviously, <laughs> pare that down depending on the on the, the level that your characters are starting or your players are starting with. And would you show all of your hand initially or would you hold some reserve that if it's going badly, you don't? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you hold. You, how would you I would it? definitely yeah. hold back. So, you know, you say okay. you, you see six, you see three up top, three down below. Maybe they've got into this because the goblins have run into this and they've set off traps that they had set previously. And now all everything's on fire. So you've got a trap mechanic that you might have planned for. Or maybe you just nice. were like, meh. Now it's here. So you've got your monsters. You've got how many of them there are. Not showing all of them just in case things start to go sour. How much of the town do you know? I'd look at like, you know, is this a a town, a village, or a city? Like it's not going to be like a water deep style city, which is like a big metropolis within within the setting that I play. But, you know, it's going to be a village of like 100 to 250. Um, So it's going to be a fair size. And would you have it mapped out with every location? No. Okay, good. Just checking. Uh, just this is helpful stuff for yeah. people. No, yeah, I probably cool. wouldn't. I would set up. I would set up the 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 corridor that they're in. Uh, maybe yep. a few offshoots. So they're gonna see. Maybe they're down by the the mayor's hall. There's a church. There's a there's a saloon. Um, a few other random buildings that you can kind of fill in as you need if you need to. They're all burning down. You don't really need people in them. Maybe there are people yep. in them though. Place a couple people mm-hmm. in some of those buildings that now they have to go save. Yeah. For me, I would have the NPCs. I'd have two or three NPCs identified, right? Like maybe the mayor who's cowering in his house or... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd have some reason for them not to just run. Mm, protecting something, hiding something. Have a mayor or have them know, give them backstory, that there is a valuable artifact inside the church that can't be lost... Otherwise, the the entire church system grumbles. I, I, nice. Yeah, that's kind of vague, but um, yeah, no, I like it. You, you give them an item or a person. So yeah, a couple NPCs, as Sean said, 
and place them somewhere that they have to work to get to. They have to get past some of those goblins. They have to move some some burning refuge to get there. And then how do you know? Then they have to decide how they get there and get back out. Right. So they hear shouts and screaming, and they yeah. have to figure out how to get there. Yeah, I love it. So that could be like a that could be like a whole half an hour getting to the mayor, learning the story, and then realizing they have to fight their way back from where they came to the church. Exactly. Yeah. If they want to go for the artifact. If they do, yeah. So they may decide that they don't want to. Um, and then oh, I love it when they do that. I love it when players choose that. Oh. Um, so I think that comes to another question, though. What do you do when your party catches you off guard with something you haven't prepared for? So I've planned this out. I've got goblins. I've got fire. I've got traps. I've got the mayor down at one end of the street. I've got the artifact down at the other end of the street. And they say, oh, I'll go save the mayor. But, I mean, artifacts, heh, dime a dozen. You say, okay, well, that was half the session. That's when you can bring in the reserve goblins that you didn't tell them about. So now they've closed off a certain section, come up with another reason to, I don't want to say railroad, because I I mean, that gets tossed around a lot, but give them reason to go for it or give them something to fight through to get out. So make it an equal decision to go for it or not go for it. And, And I often just have the same setup. So... Like, let's say they see how hard it's going to be to get the artifact. Right. But they don't see how hard it's going to be to leave. Like, the artifact is the thing, right? Do yeah. they want it? Do they want to save the world and not let the goblins get it who are clearly trying to get it? And the mayor is saying how bad that could be. So they're pretty motivated. But if they do turn to just decide to flee, you can use that same number of things you'd planned just in a different configuration on the, the way trying to get out. That's exactly it. And it's something that I've talked to uh Tom, who's on our game, he runs he runs another game for our group. Something I've talked to him about is the illusion of choice. Right. Um, you you plan you plan a maze. You have six rooms to go in. It doesn't matter which way they go. You can always move the encounter that you have built. Yes. They don't have the map. They've got the the you know the video game tunnel vision view. They don't have the clear map of what it is. So you can move it around Maze Runner style. I like mazes, apparently. I don't know what this is. Um, I was going to go there, but I'm trying not to. It's fine. I keep bringing it up, just poking the bear, seeing what happens. (laughs) Um, But you can move those rooms around. You can move those encounters around. You can make those goblins appear up out of the ground. Yeah, and... When you say it like that, I you know, I, I I just imagine a new person coming to the game and going, well, that just sounds lame. But it's not. It, the key is the story that you're t- creating for your table, right? Like you're giving them a choice. They do have choice. Do they go for this artifact or not? If they don't, there's it's it's not unrealistic that they'd have to fight other goblins to get out. Yeah. Um, it's, but it'll seem as though you did all this planning when in reality, you've just got a few tools. So what Russ is talking about is taking... One, there's one, when when you talked about from the dungeon block, right? There's one write-up of a goblin. And then you just put some here. You've got some over there. You've given Molotov cocktails to some. And and you're just manipulating those into the story. That's exactly it. Yep. And what I love as I GM more is the idea of consequences. And I have to admit that doing a based on the apocalypse system for a while really did change the way I think about consequences. Right. So uh, the only thing I would do, I would have some goblin names and I would allow for an opportunity if somebody wants to try to befriend a goblin, but I just know my table, right? They'll, they'll often try. 
So I would have that as one option. Um, maybe there's two factions of goblins. I don't know. That'll come up as it comes up. But let's say for some reason they don't get the artifact. That is my favorite thing in the world. Don't bring it, I don't make a big deal of it. They escape. They barely survive. Everyone thanks them so much. But now I write on a card. Like I have this card I keep. And I'm like, I write down the goblins have the artifact of whatever. And you know that's, I know that's coming back. And it's going to come back with major consequences for the world, right? Like definitely more people might get hurt. It might be awful, whatever it is. And when players realize that their choices have consequence, no matter of the number of creatures they fight, that makes the story so real, right? It fleshes it out um, and takes it beyond the traditional dungeon crawl where you're just going room to room, looting, killing, doing that, and then leaving. Let's roll the treasure table. Into a into a story and a world and a something more that evolves and changes every game that you sit down and play. Yeah, and I think we we intrinsically know that there are consequences. And they don't have to be brutal consequences. It's a story, it's for fun. But when you see that your actions leave a mark on the world, it's like when it's like when video games started allowing us to leave a mark in the world. How cool was that, right? Yeah. You know, in the old days it would always just be the room would reset. Now you can be like, I put that mark on the wall or I lit this thing on fire. So it's it's that kind of idea, right? You, you, and, and that, I think, is what makes a story so impactful to, to players because they're invested in it now. The player who argued to, a, to leave and wins the argument is the player that is looking really sheepish when you come across a bigger city that's on fire and the goblin army is just marching through it, you know, um, with the artifact held yeah, high. Yeah, because the artifact has given them so much power or so much more, has brought these two or three warring tribes together and now yes. yeah they're just decimating everything or i've seen you play with it too the idea of let's say the party goes for the artifact then you start to pull out the the mayor the mayor starts to make moves like to like demand it yeah the mayor has a vested interest in you know getting his daughter back and murdering all the goblins in the world with it and then the party's like i don't want to give it to him right yeah. make it make it less black and white more shades of gray all right, how comfortable, I'll ask a question. How comfortable do you feel that you could run an hour and a half session just with the setup of starting them in the burning town with the goblins and the artifact? And the- Yeah, pretty comfortable, yeah. And so I think literally like we would just like, Russ just went through. So I will do a list here. You would have, you'd have the goblin stats. You'd have how many and some extra. Uh, you might have a trap mechanic. Uh, you might have some corridors sort of roughed out. Like there's like a few corridors they're running through. Um, you'd sort of know the general location of a few key items, like the church and where the mayor's residence is. Yeah. Um, you'd know the mayor, their backstory, something about this artifact, this thing that the why the goblins are here. And we talked about some idea of looking for consequences. Yeah, consequences and motivations of the goblins yep. and the mayor. Yeah, I don't know if right. I said that, but yeah, motivations no, for good. everybody's vested interest in getting that one thing that is the goal to get. So let me ask the last part, because I think you've nailed Kit's question. Let me ask the last part. What do you do, Russ, when you've got this rough plan, like just really roughly roughed in, what do you do when your party still manages to catch you off guard with something you haven't prepared for? Like something so far out there that is like you can't even move those pieces. They they dig in. <laughs> they dig in and barricade themselves into uh, an in-basement. 
Okay, they dig in and they barricade themselves and say, we'll wait for the city to burn down. But then the building that they're in catches on fire. (laughs) Give them a reason. If you don't want them in a place or you don't want them doing something, give them a reason not to. Put a pressure on them. They've made it to the mayor. Mayor's like, oh, we got to get that artifact. These goblins will probably run away. Maybe. Well, I probably wouldn't say that because the mayor wants it. Yeah. You know, we got to get that right now. But they're like, well, we'll just wait them out. We'll just hide here. They'll never know we're here. Even though they saw you run down the middle of the street. I play with some people. And then suddenly they've decided to dig in. A bow flies through the window and explodes. It lights all the drapes. Now they're now their building's on fire. Now they've got to make another decision. Yeah, and the way to think of it is what you just said, Russ. It's not just what you want them to do as a GM. It's not about that. No. It's about what's real for what's happening. The goblins saw you run into the mayor's place because they didn't want anyone to reach the mayor. They know you're in there, and then the the group is deciding to not move. Well, the goblins are going to try and come in. They know where you are, yeah. Exactly. Just think about your world. Think about your world. I admit, I get, (laughs) with my players, I'm caught off guard all the time. (laughs) And sometimes I sit back. I don't have an answer right away. I'll laugh or smile and then I'll, and they'll, they enjoy that, right? They enjoy, they caught me off guard. And then I'll lean forward and I'll just take whatever comes into my head as a consequence, right? Or, or who else has a, saw what happened? Who else has an interest in this? And just bring them in, like let the players make their decisions and then just show them how the world might, your job is to say what happens in the world as a result of that decision. Yeah. You've given them, you've given them the the framework for the scenario they're in, but you haven't shown them what's beyond the walls of where they are right now. So for you to say that anything else happens, I mean, a dragon swoops in. Sure. Why not? Now that gives them a chase. They've got to run the hell away. Yep. You're not you're not trying to kill them, but you're trying to give them reason to do something different. Applying pressure. Yeah, 100%. There's also a, a thing from Powered on the Apocalypse games, or at least in Dungeon World and some of them, that there's this idea sometimes of a, I forget what it's called, but it's a move that you don't see happen. And it's a big move. So it's the idea that sometimes you can let the characters just do their strange thing that you didn't see coming. Just go, okay, great. Now what do you want to do? Right. And then figure out what happens next. But you write it down because in your head, you can be like, it's what we talked about. If they choose not to go get the artifact in your head, you can be like, oh, that's going to come back. And you just write it down. Yeah. Right. So you can actually have consequences that come later. And frankly, I think those are sometimes the most fun. Well, they 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 for me as the as the one running the game, when they make that decision that is going to make that big ripple, that's a story point that I didn't think of before, or I couldn't have thought of before. Right. So it alters and changes the story that you had written in a, in a way that you no way could have come up with. But you can claim it later. Absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, look how brilliant I was. <laughs> Don't tell them that, they, that it's their, re- no. their, you know, that they came up yeah. with all the story that you're giving to them. You're the mastermind behind this, Kit. You are. Well, Kit. I think you are ready to run a game. What do you think, Russ? I think you are ready. Hit the ground running. Throw them Throw them into a village with burning buildings and goblins throwing Molotov cocktails at them. Do it. Do it. And let us know how it goes. Let us know what you decide to do. And send us your questions. Thank you for listening to dm to gm If you have questions about getting your game started, send them to us, Russ and Sean. Our email is dm to gmcast at gmail.com. You can also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at dm to gmcast 
You'll find all the links down in the description. In the meantime, get your game started. We'll talk to you soon. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Check out this place. You'd love to retire here? What is this? Oh god, what have you done? Spaceships. Season 2. Out now on podcast platforms across the galaxy.